Welcome to the new neighborhood. We are excited to highlight innovative early childhood work taking place in communities across the country. In each episode, we'll be talking to people who are building a new sense of community, supporting young children and their families, and focusing on equity right from the start to create a generation where all children and their families thrive. I'm Kaylin O'Connor. And I'm Sanaa Sharif, and we are your co-hosts for The New Neighborhood. We're excited to welcome our guests today who are both affiliated with Stony Brook University, New York, and with the New York City-based organization, The Power of Two. We're going to hear about their research and how neighborhood factors influence parenting. Professor Kristen Barnard and Danielle Thorpe, can you each introduce yourselves? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having us. My name is Dr. Kristen Bernard, and I'm an associate professor in the psychology department at Stony Brook University and a co-founder and current director of research at Power of Two. And my name is Danielle Thorpe, and I am a sixth-year clinical psychology PhD student at Stony Brook University, and I work with Dr. Bernard. Great. Thank you both so much for being here with us. Let's start by sharing with our listeners what the Power of Two is doing in New York City. Sure. So Power of Two's mission is to nurture the inherent potential in every family with a focus on supporting families in providing sensitive and responsive care to their babies and young children. When Power of Two was founded, there was this intentional commitment to integrating community research and also city government systems on our founding team to ensure that we were integrating the evidence of what we know from attachment science with also parent voices and community values in our approach. Power of Two's central focus involves implementing a home visiting program called Attachment and Biobehavioral Catch-Up or ABC, and importantly approaches this intergenerational work with community-centered, trauma-informed, and social justice lenses. Can you share more about the ABC home visiting model? Of course. So Attachment and Biobehavioral Catch-Up, or ABC, is a home visiting model that was developed by Dr. Mary Dozier and her team at the University of Delaware, which is where I did my graduate work and first got involved in this effort. And ABC is a 10-session program that aims to specifically enhance responsive and sensitive parenting for babies and young children. So sensitive parenting which can mean being nurturing in response to baby's distress or following the child's lead in other times is really at the core of ABC. And the approach of ABC involves this strengths-based parent coaching model. So during every session, the ABC coach's job is really to look out for, observe, and comment on aspects of ongoing parent-child interactions as they occur, which might seem like really small, ordinary moments to a parent, um, but the coach's job is to highlight those and emphasize how critical they are to the parent-child relationship. For example, if a baby bumped their head, a comment might be, oh, he bumped his head and looked right to you, and you scooped him up and provided him that nurturance, which is really helping him develop trust in you. And our coaches are expected to make these comments at least once per minute uh, in a session. So in an hour-long session of ABC, a parent might hear 60 or more times how they're engaging in these nurturing and sensitive ways with their baby. Importantly, I would add that ABC has a really strong evidence base with some of the effects lasting well into childhood. And these coaching comments from our research really seem to be the active ingredient in what is leading to changes in the parent-child relationship. 
We understand that ABC is being delivered in many states across the U.S. and even internationally. How is Power of Two implementing ABC in New York City? Power of Two started in Brownsville, which is a predominantly Black and Brown community in central Brooklyn, and has since opened an office in the South Bronx and currently serves children across New York City. Every year, our coaches deliver EBC to about 700 to 900 families, which includes families who are living in several historically marginalized communities, as well as families involved in the child welfare system throughout New York City. And we have a lot of strong partnerships in the community with different community-based organizations, as well as preventive agencies who refer families directly to receive ABC with Power of Two, but also have outreach teams that are really entrenched in the communities that we're in who reach out directly to families at different community sites or community events. And wherever ABC is implemented in the country or in the world, the approach actually looks very similar with this parent coaching model and 10 sessions in the home or virtually. And there are practices in place to ensure that it's implemented with fidelity. But I want to highlight some unique things about how Power of Two implements the model that sort of go beyond ABC itself, uh, which is that they really aim to have this focus on family healing and community building and racial equity. One example that comes to mind of what this looks like is that Power of Two has intentionally hired from the communities uh, with which we partner, including parents who have graduated from the ABC program themselves. And they also have a community ambassador program where we support ABC graduates in building their knowledge and skills to serve as advocates in their communities. So Power of Two is, is working in this unique way, really aiming to promote change that's happening within the parent-child relationship or family, but also really at this community level. Thank you so much for describing all that, Kristen. And it sounds like such a great program. Danielle, let's hear from you for a while here. We understand that you've done some research in partnership with Power of Two aimed at understanding parenting and ABC's effectiveness in relationship to the neighborhood context. Can you tell our listeners what you found when you looked at community violence? Yeah, so a lot of my interests are really thinking about neighborhoods and how the neighborhood environment is important. I think historically in a lot of the neighborhoods we work, there is always like the onus on parents, really thinking about this work about neighborhoods and how we can support parents and in that study, I looked specifically at neighborhood safety, so the occurrence of violence, and how that is associated with certain views that can make it difficult for parents to respond in those sensitive ways that Kristen was talking about before. And really, a lot of these views were things like, if I pick up my child, I might spoil them. And Beyond what I was looking at, it's important to think about why parents hold these views. It might be, you know, parent preparing their young child for, you know, the neighborhood they might grow up in. And what we found was that ABC was really helpful in challenging some of these views and helping parents be more sensitive towards their infants, regardless of the level of like violence that was in the community. So really highlighting the role of ABC and its effectiveness in spite of these community things that are happening. Although I do agree, we still need to change the community aspect of things, but go ABC. <laughs> so that brings us to your current research, which you told us is called the geography of parenting. Can you tell us what you're looking at and how you are structuring the project? 
Yeah, so the Geography of Parenting Study, or GPS, love that I came up with that, is a two-part study. So the first part is really highlighting community voices. I think throughout doing this research and working with Power of Two, really understanding the role that parents play in the research process and how we can use research to highlight and uplift their voices. So that project has a focus group component where we're really hearing from parents across New York City about the neighborhood and how they parent in an urban neighborhood and different strategies that they use, um, which has been super insightful. And then the other part of the project is more of survey-related data where parents are filling things out about their child's emotional health, things like racial socialization, racial trauma, parenting, parents' history. So we're getting lots of information there as well. Are you going to be able to make conclusions about different groups within the study, like by race and ethnicity or family structure? Yeah, I think that information is definitely being collected. So we have different information about the race of the child, race of parents. And I think what is particularly unique about the study is the age group. So this is primarily with young kiddos. So between the ages of like three and five, six-ish and really thinking about how parenting is shaped during these early years and how we can support parents during these early years. So we're collecting all that data. We haven't looked at it yet, but happy to come back and talk about it once we do. And I would add to that that Danielle led a very impressive meta-analysis recently, which involved collecting and summarizing hundreds of studies that have looked at the association or connection between neighborhood violence and parenting quality. And this type of approach is really useful because instead of just collecting information about one community from one research team, it's really combining everything we know so far in the field about the connection between neighborhood context, in this case, violence and parenting quality. And it's a huge undertaking to do that. So to collect all of the studies and really sort through them and quantify like what, how big is this association? How much do neighborhoods matter in really shaping parenting behaviors? So overall, Danielle and her team found that higher community violence was linked to lower positive parenting as well as higher harsh or neglectful parenting. And one of the things that you can do is compare across studies to see if there are differences that have to do with how the sample is comprised in terms of race or ethnicity or child age or other factors like Danielle was describing. And overall, there wasn't actually that much evidence of racial or ethnic differences in the strength of the link between neighborhood violence and parenting. But importantly, I would say it's really, really hard to test those kind of questions on this large scale or in this big picture way. And so this is why I think Danielle's GPS study is so exciting because it will allow her to get parents' perspective uh, from the qualitative work and the focus groups that may allow us to explore some of those questions in a more nuanced way. So if we do see links between how parents shift their parenting strategies in certain community contexts, we may be able to understand or probe into some more depth of why that's happening, really integrating what parents think. That's great. This GPS study sounds like it's going to be a really big contribution. 
Daniil, you mentioned the Community Advisory Board, and I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about what role they will play and how that's going to play out as the study continues. Yeah, so an important part of GPS or this study was really thinking about using a collaborative approach to research um, that is community-informed, that is trauma-informed, and really amplifies the voices of neighborhood parents. So at the beginning of the project, we started a parent community advisory board, which has both parents of young children and non-parents that work with young kiddos. So psychologists, teachers, daycare workers, anyone in the community that serves a young child between the ages of three and five in some way. And the goal of this advisory board is really to come together to talk about some of these, you know, concerns in urban communities, how we can highlight strengths of the communities, to talk about how we disseminate the research. So how do we use that research to really inform change? How do we approach parents in neighborhood to complete this study and just being really mindful about the role of research and how it has historically created a lot of divisiveness, you know, a lot of consequences of some of this research and it has also fueled a lot of mistrust. So really the community advisory board was aimed to rebuild that link between research and the community, which is also a lot of what Power2 supports in their efforts. I know the research is ongoing, but are there any insights you can share so far? Yeah, so the focus groups have been particularly insightful to just conduct and listen and be with parents. And we're definitely hearing lots of themes coming up there, especially as it relates to how parents of young children parent and behave in these urban neighborhoods. So we're hearing things about restrictiveness, that parents are more cautious about letting their young kiddos explore their neighborhood environment, a lot of social withdrawal that is kind of happening. So parents kind of separating from their communities. And I think what parents are also highlighting are different ways that they've learned to navigate their communities and really use utilizing the community's strengths. So, you know, where parents have found community, they've really utilized that resource. So parents talked about being connected to groups with other moms, and that's where they learned a lot of information about, you know, their babies. And it's through these programs and, you know, folks have highlighted programs like Power of Two that's providing them these resources. So this is where I learned about this research study, and this is where I've learned about a lot of other research projects. So really thinking about how parents are able to utilize their, their communities has really been insightful and also eye-opening to hear about how parents kind of contextualize their neighborhoods and the role that they play in really shaping their young children's development. I would add to what Danielle shared in highlighting that it sounds like some of what's coming up in the focus groups with parents is this balance between challenges that they're confronting in their neighborhoods and how that influences their parenting or their worries about child development balance with some protective factors or sources of strength. And I think that's going to be a really important direction for all future research is to consider what is helping about neighborhood conditions, what are parents relying on in their neighborhoods and how can we enhance that? 
and also what is getting in their way. Um, and I think Danielle's research, especially the qualitative piece, will help us sort of understand that and identify some future directions for research, hopefully even uh, implications for policy or practice to best serve the needs of parents, especially those with young children. Yeah, and what was particularly nice to hear too is one of the questions we ask about in the focus group are structural changes that parents feel like could be made in their community. And it was really insightful to hear what parents came up with regarding, you know, having more stakeholder discussions with community representatives. They talked about going to town, local town hall meetings when these decisions are being made. So in a particular area of Brooklyn right now, they're trying to reduce certain buses, especially after certain times in, you know, New York City, a lot of its population rely on public transit. So, you know, the MTA made this decision that we're going to cut the bus route and people and community members, parents have really come out to push this idea of, no, there's strong ridership. We take this bus. So parents talked about using these, these community forums and these town hall meetings as a way to talk about their interests and things that are important to them so that these, you know, local politicians and decision makers actually hear from parents who are in the neighborhood and people who are in the neighborhood and their lived experience to inform some of these policy decisions. That is fantastic that the community is mobilizing in that way. And I just want to stop and say, I saw Sanaa's reaction when Kristen said this program started in Brownsville. And Danielle, I think you have roots in some of these communities you're working in as well. So I wonder if you each want to just say a little bit about growing up in that area. And I see the pride on Sanaa's face when you say Brownsville. <laughs> so I just want to hear you say a little bit about that. I would say that even with my mom working on Wall Street and my dad working for a major bank, the community itself needed a lot of help at a time when a lot of help was not available. And, you know, we we had opportunities like going to the botanical gardens and operas, et cetera, that a lot of my community just did not have. So we had perspective outside of what we saw. So to listen to this work that's being done and to listen to the opportunities that are being offered to families who really are able to have a table to speak about what's needed, it just makes my heart swell. This makes me really happy to hear about this work. Yeah, and that's so, so important, especially with Power of Two and what Power of Two is doing. Like, I can see the contrast sometimes in these focus groups where I have two moms from Brownsville, and one is talking about, I have access to all these resources. One thing Power of Two does um, is these like winter wonderland events where kiddos can get presents for the holidays. And this mom was talking about, I've gotten so many things. I've gotten bikes. I've gotten clothes. I've gotten so many nice things. And another mom also in Brownsville that talked about like the contrast of like describing, you know, her neighborhood as not having these resources. And I really think it speaks to access and parents being aware of these community organizations. And hopefully with the work that we're doing through Power of Two is also bringing awareness to organizations like Power of Two that can be that beacon in the community of like, oh, you know, I also got things for my child and bikes and resources. So it's really thinking about how that knowledge can be further distributed across the Brownsville community. So 
everyone knows about Power of Two and where they can get gifts and clothes and all these things for their child. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thanks for sharing all about Power of Two and ABC and the work going on on the ground in New York and your research. This has been really great to hear about. We do like to wrap up by asking our guests what you think the secret sauce is to making the community a great place to raise a child. It might be a secret sauce or a special ingredient. So what do you think it is? Let's start with Kristen. Thank you. That's such a great and interesting question. And I need to go back and listen to all of your other recordings to see what other folks have said, because I'm sure we could have a recipe for successful neighborhoods if we combine all of this knowledge together. But what I would argue, and this is probably not surprising given what I what I talked about in terms of the ABC program and Power of Two's approach to supporting parent-child relationships, but I would argue that relationships are really central to everything, certainly central to well-being across the lifespan. And while we focus on parent-child relationship quality, because parents in infancy are their child's whole world. If we shift to thinking about neighborhoods, we can still think about communities as these interconnected, complex, diverse networks of relationships. And so if we want to improve communities, I think we have to build and support and really prioritize all of the relationships that are happening within communities. Great. Thank you. And Daniil, you're up. This question was really, really hard. I thought about many things, but I think one thing that really stuck out to me. I had a pretty influential professor in undergrad, Dr. Michael Penn, who always talked about like concepts of the Baha'i faith. And one thing that is central is this idea of uh, oneness for humanity. Um, And he has this quote that, again, it's from the Baha'i writings, but it says, let them think of all humankind as their friends, stranger as companion, staying free from prejudice, drawing no lines. And I think getting to the root of that humanity and really thinking about each other as not necessarily separate uh, or drawing lines, but again, that need for humanity and oneness is really in line with what Kristen talked about in terms of building relationships. If we can really get to that root of humanity and that idea of oneness, it can really help us form those neighborhood connections with neighbors, organizations um, that can really support early child development. This has been an awesome discussion and I'm loving both of your recipes. Thank you for listening to The New Neighborhood. Be sure to check the show notes for links and additional information about some of the things we talked about today. And please join us next time for more insights into how communities are coming together to create new neighborhoods and support early learning and development. This limited series podcast is a production of the Center for the Study of Social Policy. For more information or to contact us, visit us online at www.cssp.org.